We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then 13 to the end from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we will pause at the commas and the periods. We will read with confidence and loudly, and at the end, I will say the word of the Lord, and I'd like for you to please respond with, thanks be to God. Don't worry, we won't do this every week in perpetuity, but this felt appropriate this morning. So I understand we're in NASCAR country here, is that correct? So I'll be the pace car, okay? So don't run them up. Don't start causing crashes around every sentence or corner. And I'll lead us and, and we'll follow. Are you ready? Say yes. yes. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again." But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when we think of following Jesus, it's much easier to focus on blessings than it is persecution. As someone said, we want the perks, but we don't want the pain. Pastor Farrell this week shared in an email to you all the story of Pastor Samuel Lamb, who spent decades in prison in communist China for preaching the gospel, he said, quote, in America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger, end quote. 
Persecution, I guess it's not an end quote, persecution, he concluded, is much better than prosperity, end quote. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, said effectively the same thing 1,800 years earlier. I heard this quote for the first time, not in Bible college, although I heard it there, but as a Mount Pleasant High School sophomore in my world humanities class, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the, somebody finish the sentence, anybody? The seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Let's say that again. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What was Tertullian's point? His point is that historic attempts, for him, the present day attempts, historic attempts at eliminating Christians have ended up, glory to God, in multiplying Christians. Historic attempts at squashing the church have ended in a revitalization of the church. So what is persecution? Well, by definition, persecution is defined as negative reactions by governments, ideologies, societies, and individuals to the presence and the mission of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's as simple as it is by definition, what is the goal? The intended goal, of course, is to silence the Christian witness. As you will recall, Jesus said to Peter on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. People have tried and tried. They've burned Bibles. They've killed Christians. To the glory of God, the church continues to advance and grow. And lost people are saved. They're found. They convert to Christianity. They follow Jesus. They inherit heaven as a reward. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. So today, we read together a centuries-old letter that the most early church, the most early Christ followers were, in fact, persecuted. This is what Paul tells us. We read words like suffered, insulted, strong opposition, toil, hardship. This can be the case when a young man or woman goes to a college, right, and sits under a a very... pagan-minded professor for perhaps the first time. Uh, this can be the case, Marcus Ellington just preached a couple weeks ago, we were, we were here, and he said he got fired from a job for his faith. So this can happen right today. This can happen on a scale from subtle and discreet and very personal to one of systemic natures to one of great, um, what what we might say even uh, oppression or, um, forgive me, the word I'm looking for is not coming to me, but everybody, right? It's not an individual's uh, vice. It's, it's, It's something that a whole nation is taking the church to task for. And if you look at Paul, what Paul's saying here is, 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 or what we're understanding if we look closely, is he left Philippi, and he left Philippi, why? Because he was persecuted there. He got to Thessalonica. He was persecuted in Thessalonica. He only stayed for three weeks. He's writing a letter to a church that he was only with for three weeks, okay? I hope my tenure is longer than Paul's in Thessalonica here. He left after three weeks. He went then... 
uh, on and, and to Athens and to Berea first and Athens, all the while facing persecution, it's obvious that the earliest Christians were learning how to become Christians in a pagan culture that absolutely hated Jesus Christ. And today, in 2022, though we may not experience it as such in the United States of America, quite frankly, not a whole lot has changed on the global scale. A ministry called Open Doors catalogs modern instances of Christian persecution across the globe. They tell us today's attempts at squashing the people of God manifest in physical and verbal threats, imprisonment, kidnappings, bribes, deportation, destruction of property, fines, torture, and murder. In 2022... How many of you are feeling a little better about being shorted a Chick-fil-A sauce last week when you went through the drive-thru? Okay? So this is happening to our brothers and sisters across the globe. Now allow me to give you, because you will, we're told, if you're living passionately for Jesus, if your faith costs you something, if you're just coming and filling a pew if you're, you know, you may not experience persecution, but if you're with white-hot zeal following the Lord, you will experience persecution in your life. That's what we read. That's what we're told in the scriptures. So allow me to give you some godly responses. Number one, expect it. Expect it. It'll happen. Paul told Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be what? persecuted. 1 Peter 5.8 describes Satan as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are to brace ourselves for persecution. I'm assuming that many of you have leaned your shoulder into a wave in the surf at Myrtle Beach at some point in your life. If that's you, raise your hand. At a beach, lean into the surf in the wave. You've braced yourself for that wave. How many of you know what it feels like to not brace yourself for that very wave, to not have your head on a swivel and wind up with sand in your shorts? Raise your hand. Okay? Paul's words say we are to brace ourselves for persecution. Secondly, we're to worship through it. We've expected it. Now we're to worship in spite of it. Look at Paul's disposition of heart in verse 13. Paul writes, and we also thank God continually. We also thank God continually. So Paul doesn't magnify the hardship. Paul magnifies his Jesus in the middle of the hardship. Paul doesn't magnify the persecution, the opposition. He magnifies his Lord so that he can better stand up to it. Amen? Are you guys with me today? All right, I need a little help. All right. Third, we forgive during it. We've expected it. We're worshiping through it. We've turned our persecution into praise. Third, we forgive during it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, but I tell you, in other words, I'm about to raise raise the bar. I'm about to set a higher expectation. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children, this is almost like a cause and effect, that you may be be children of your father, that you may have an identity with the father. 
in heaven. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say fight back. Jesus didn't say take up arms. Jesus didn't say win the culture wars. In fact, Jesus hanging on the cross, looked at those who were killing him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what, they don't know what they're doing, Lord. They've been brainwashed. They don't even understand their sin. They're just doing what their buddies are doing. Lord, forgive them. May that be our heart as well and then forth. We frame it correctly. Church family, our credibility regarding persecution hinges on our ability to frame this thing correctly. I've already kind of hinted at this, but allow me to gently remind you that not every first world problem is persecution. Anecdotally, I've heard statements like this. You know, little Johnny, he didn't make cut the cut on the middle school basketball team again. You know, I, I just think the coach is out to get him. I mean, we just need to keep remembering as a family, blessed are the, the persecuted. Wait a minute. I have seldom met a coach who wanted to do anything but what? Generally, that's the case. I know you have Christian athletic director here at GCA, and hopefully there's another motive. But could it be that your child was persecuted because your child didn't make the middle school basketball team? I suppose it's possible. I suppose it is, depending on that coach's intent. But maybe your child was just like me when I was cut from Mount Pleasant Middle School's basketball tryouts. I was five foot ten and a half, and I turned the ball over every time I touched it. You can ask my dad. My dad's here this morning. That's why I decided to try wrestling. So let's not forget, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that not every difficult thing that we experience is persecution. Let's not forget about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East right now when the lettuce on our salad isn't chilled or crispy enough. Amen? Let's remind ourselves when we're inconvenienced that someone somewhere is experiencing severe persecution. And let's train our children to frame it that way and to stop and pray for those people that we have never met, that we may never encounter. Value at a bonus, if you use life's inconveniences to pray for the persecuted church, your salad will actually taste better. True story. You'll start to think, this isn't so bad. Now, we're going to get to some encouraging material momentarily. But as the band is going to come and lead us in a song, I would like you to lean into some very difficult subject matter as it pertains to persecution. Scott Brinkley, our head of graphics at Grace, was kind and creative enough to help me illustrate these. Let's look first at the apostles. Did you know that church tradition holds that 11 of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death? 11 out of 12, James was beheaded, Thomas was lanced with spears, Bartholomew was flayed alive. That's the one that really gives me the eebie-jeebies. Simon the Zealot was sawn in two. 
Jude was either killed with an axe or shot to, Darrow with, or shot to death with arrows or both. The traditions differ a little bit. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus to a teenage girl around a campfire, after Jesus' resurrection became fearless and he asked if he could be crucified upside down because he didn't believe himself worthy enough to be crucified in the same way that Jesus, his savior was. That is faith. That is tenacity. That is courage. And while John is generally thought to be the only disciple to die of old age, tradition holds that even he was lowered into boiling oil and brought back up alive. Then there were the early church fathers. Stephen, the very first person to die for the cause of Christ, was stoned until dead. The apostle Paul, who sanctioned Stephen's death and later had this dramatic conversion experience, and a voice comes down from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Do you remember what the voice said? Not the church. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And, and, and Saul is blinded and he becomes Paul and begins serving the church and authors two-thirds of the New Testament, including the book that we read from today. Even the man who pinned what we collectively read was beheaded with a sword. And if you've ever been to Rome you know that there were tens of thousands who were killed by brutal emperors in the first three centuries. This happened not in one Colosseum, but in multiple Colosseums across the empire. Some died by beasts, others by gladiators. Nero lit his garden parties with the burning corpses of the faithful. And of course there's persecution happening today. According to Gordon Conwell, 70 million Christians have been martyred since Stephen was stoned. Over half of those happened in the 20th century. In the 20th century, Open Door says 322 Christians are killed on average each month. 214 churches are destroyed each month. 772 forms of violence, including beatings, kidnappings, rape, and arrest happen on a monthly basis. And the top five countries where Christians face this kind of execution, or rather persecution, sometimes execution, are North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Sudan. Now I know what you may be thinking or I would predict, which is why on, on, on earth would any pastor begin his inaugural sermon in this way? This is ministerial debilitation. What is he doing? Why is the band coming out? Could we possibly sing after this? And I want to tell you why. Here's where the hope comes in. Are you ready? Out of 70 million Christian martyrs, not one of them tasted eternal death. Their persecution was temporary. Their pain was temporary. Their cries were temporary. Just like Stephen in Acts 7, all 70 million gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. 
and saw the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father, and he received their spirit. Their bodies were lifeless, but they were no longer lifeless. See? And we're also about to sing because some of you have experienced persecution. Truth be told, we don't want to minimize your pain. Many of you have the spiritual maturity, furthermore, to say, you know, I may never be put on a stake, but I want to surrender. I understand my faith costs me something. My time, my talent, my resources I, wanna, I haven't spilled my blood in the streets of Rome, but I want to pour myself out for North Charlotte. If you realize that to die is gain, but to live is Jesus Christ, and you just want to offer yourself as a living sacrifice for the king of all kings, would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, you're my treasure. You're my joy. I may or may not be asked to die for you, but I love you. I'll give of myself to you. I'll serve you. Come hail or high water. I'm devoted to you, Lord. Father, we need you. Lord, you are the same God. Lord, as the song says, we may not face Goliath, but we faced our own giants. Lord, we need your help. Give us strength to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. No way. 
that great news to know that who God was, he still is. What he did, he's still doing. He saved and he's still saving. He healed and he's still healing. God at work in our lives. I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come this morning as we wrap this up. We have leaders available to pray with you, to pray for you. Maybe there's a present need you're walking through. Maybe there's a point of persecution that you're processing through and you say, hey, I just want some leaders to pray for me, to pray for us. Whatever that need might be, listen, we believe that God is able. He wants to meet you in that point of need. So that's why we have the leaders. We have Rod and Charlotte in the balcony as well as leaders here at the front. So if you have a need, we'd love to pray with you to pray for you this morning. As well, let me say, if you have not made a decision to step over the line of faith, to embrace Jesus Christ, to receive Christ as your Savior, then I would encourage you, please come and talk with one of these leaders. The greatest decision you'll ever make, to open your life to Jesus. They'd be glad to talk with you, to pray with you about that this morning. Well, thanks for being here with us in worship today. I pray God's favor, his blessing, his goodness on your life and for your life. May the goodness of God not only fill your lives, but overflow your lives in this week that you might have an opportunity to share that of the love of Jesus with someone. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We hope that this service blessed you as much as it blessed us. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, you can go to our website, gracecovenant.org. If you want to be a part of the mission here at Grace, we have lots of ways that you can do that. You can volunteer by sending us a message through the website.